we're back to talking actual baseball this week. No previews, but we do have a guest. You'll want to listen to this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. Alright, we are back again. Episode number 167. I'm Nick, he's Will, and we also have another guy that's on the line too. He can introduce himself though, I'm not that nice. Oh, alright, don't get a live intro, that's fine. Yeah, no. Hey, I'm Ron from the LPV Roundup, what's going on? Yeah, no, he, he, we don't like him as much, he's from the Midwest, so you know, he's, he doesn't get the New Jersey welcome. From the Midwest? Yeah. What, what is the New Jersey welcome though, Nick? I, I think... Well, this I mean, isn't a video call, so I can't show him. Well, uh, true. See, this is an audio format, so I guess I guess there is no New Jersey welcome type of thing. Yeah, but in all seriousness, though, no, we are happy to have you. I hey, I am happy to be here, and I'll tell you this much: if you ever say to somebody from Kentucky that's the Midwest, it's going to be a long, long conversation before you can kind of back away from it because it's something about having a team in the SEC. It just makes you feel like you are the South, no matter what the map says. So you got to understand, I, for me, I view it as like you have the East Coast, you have the West Coast, and then you have like this desert with a couple of waypoints in between. And those waypoints are really like Chicago, Colorado, and that's pretty much it. The rest of it's just flyover country. I mean, you're kind of right. I, I, the real jarring thing to me since I moved to Kentucky yeah. has been finding out that, like, the joke about Pennsylvania, like, yeah. Pennsylvania being, like, Philly, Pittsburgh, and Kentucky in between is, yeah, yeah, like, they even have Amish here. Like, it's, <laughs> first of all, the place I live in Kentucky is called Lancaster, and it's oh, really confusing for people. So that's a problem. But, like, yeah. in Kentucky, not Lancaster, we have Amish like Lancaster, PA. So it's a whole thing. It's, it's been a learning experience. Ah, so are they Amish or are they Metanites? Oh, they're Amish. Oh, they're straight oh, Amish. Okay, because I know oh, there's well, Metanites yeah. and there's a distinction there. Oh, no, no, no. They're Amish. Oh, okay. Very good. Very good. I just I want to make sure yeah, we get the distinction. Like a little card, too, that justifies it. I don't know how that works, actually. There's like a membership? I don't know. Whatever. We'll figure it out. They got to pay Amish dues? They got to pay dues to be Amish? <laughs> it's like a fraternity. <laughs> <laughs> we got Phi Kappa Amish? Phi Kappa Amish. Oh, they're all going to get matching, like, tattoos, but it's just, like, different yeah. ways to be, like, kick my horse. <laughs> the tattoo starts with just, like, a horseshoe? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, like, the different way that things, like, get messed up around it. It'd be amazing. Oh, God. Good thing they won't hear this, because... Yeah. <laughs> See, this is going well. I think this episode's going great, guys. Oh, already. I mean, we're filling time here. I mean, we're recording this, like, the same day the last episode came out. I make no bones about that. So, I mean, we could talk about what could possibly happen into the future. And you know if something major is going to happen during the week. And I'm just going to be in North Carolina just like, yep, probably should talk about that. Not that I can, but I probably should. Well, so I, I was thinking about that because yeah. last time I was here, it was like one week ago in the season and York was making a big playoff push. And I was like, hey. Like, I think York might make the move this year, like come out of nowhere and get the spot. And then they lost four in a row. Yeah. So, and that was like before, like that was like as it aired, they had lost their third straight. It was a whole thing. So yeah. I'm just going to say like, wow, like it sure is crazy that Southern Maryland's not good anymore. And Daryl Thompson's on the Ducks now. 
And like, wow, it sure is crazy that the Barnstormers are on a 10 game winning streak. And oh, it sure is crazy that like Pete Davidson's playing for the Ferry Hawks now. And then just like cut one of those in if any of that happens. And then I sound smart. I will do. So we're going to talk about that Lou Ford, Daryl Thompson trade that just shook everything up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, the, the major impact of that and what it looks like changing a player and coach. It's like a double trade. Or they still coach for the other team, but they just traded the players of them. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, what if that happened? What what if like uh what if the what if like Lou Ford would take at bats for the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, but like giving the Ducks hitters advice like through Zoom or something? Like that would be a very uh this kind of arrow way to to do that sort of trade and then Daryl Thompson do the exact same way back from uh, Long Island, but like instead of a pitching coach going to the mound, you just bring a laptop and it's just Daryl like in the Ducks clubhouse like trying to correct stuff. It would be it'd be quite the bizarre scene. Yeah, and I mean it would obviously be a huge conflict of interest. And if I know anything about the Atlantic League, it's that that means it's exactly a fifty fifty chance about whether or not they'll actually you know do something about. I honestly. I think the perfect solution to this is we just put like an iPad on a like robot cart, maybe like on a Roomba, and let that go off. Do like, like at giant grocery stores up in PA, yeah, that's yeah. the vibe. I think well, that's. I, I see. I'm more of a fan of like the self like pitching uh, pitching like coat or mound visit rather. Like yeah. if like JJ Hoover's out there and he just like calls time and has a mound visit with himself, like that's so amazing. <laughs> just starts muttering to himself with like the glove in front of the face. I mean, pitchers are already all talking themselves, so what's the difference? I mean, to be fair, if you're getting the possibility of a comebacker coming right back at your head, I mean, that does kind of get you a little bit psyched there. That makes you a little bit weird. It's like a goalie. You think the umpire still comes out for that meeting? I feel like he's obligated to it, at the very least for show. I think it very much depends on the umpire here. You know, certain umpires in this league, I absolutely think would. This is, I also saw in Lexington not long ago, someone take a foul tip, like one of the catchers took a foul tip, and yeah. the umpire just like from the normal common courtesy went and like brushed off the plate, but it's a turf field. So like, you know, I think situation doesn't really matter. Like they're doing what they do and, if, you know, going out for a mound visits, what they do. That's what, you know, is yeah. going to happen. Now, speaking of turfs and mounds, ain't there a mound issue over on that turf field in Lexington? Nice. 10 out of 10 on the segue. I know. I, I, I know. Us even mentioning how good that was. The talent, yeah, well the talent. That that's yeah. three years of talent going to work right there. That is that what it is. That's amazing. I no. I'll take notes from my end. Um, no. So yes, that's very uh, right off that segue. Yes. So uh, for those of you who are still tracking this, uh, about ten days after the fact, there was the fascinating uh, case of a suspended game, and then a game that had to be postponed fully because of. Uh, field conditions. However, the field conditions in question were on a turf field related to a pitcher's mound. So, um, for those of you who haven't been following, it basically there's uh, an issue with the Lexington Legends and Wild Health Genomes mound uh, that cropped up. If I'm honest, it cropped up game of the actual season, uh, which is you know a major red flag. Uh, you know, some mounds maybe just aren't built for professional use i mean we had jj hoover on it for legends day one so that's a that's a big man using that mound up but uh what we found was that there's basically pieces of these artificial mounds that'll get put together like a puzzle and one of them had a hole kind of being worn into it like a gap in it and uh you know it was something we noticed pretty early on and finally that 
defecation hit oscillation uh, last week. But it's a bit of a question mark as to why it was allowed to sort of linger for that long. Uh, I know the players were super unhappy about it. It was one of those things where the legends left for their road trip and figured, you know, something would be done about it. And then they came back and nothing had been done still. So that entire field situation in Lexington has been an ongoing issue. Uh, the turf, they were literally laying down the rubber pellets for the turf the day of opening day. Uh, there were questions about, you know, safety and playing on it. There were some questions about uh, whether <laughs> whether or not guys want to be out there. Uh, I know Brandon Phillips has mentioned his concerns about being on it. So it's Ben Revere. Basically, the construction was not fully completed on a few different things. And the mound, which was completed, then fell apart. So it's been a tough start to things over in Lexington. I think that's almost a, a bigger deal. There's not just one team, uh, the Lexington, like Lexington Legends there, that is playing host to uh, two Atlantic League teams, and you're, you're playing home games there, I mean, most days. Uh, do you think like that it was just a case of the field not being ready for uh, not being ready for two teams to play on there at once, or just a field that was just bad and terrible to begin with? It was just not ready, period. Uh, you could have had nobody playing on that thing that wasn't ready to go. It's uh, something that, to be fair, the organization it was supposed to be done in early March. I mean, they have a college team, Transylvania University, actually, great name for a school, uh, that uses their field. They yeah. bounced their whole schedule to another place because they weren't able to play in their games. And then it was done, literally, I mean, I'm not kidding, it was the rubber being dropped on it even after the first game. Uh, so, it, yeah, it just... By the time they, they got what I would say enough rubber down, but then that rubber is supposed to drop down. It's supposed to get watered. It's supposed to get settled. So, uh, you caught weird things happening. Like at first, balls were bouncing too fast because there wasn't enough rubber on it. And then the next game, because they had dropped more rubber down, but it was still like not worked fully into the turf. There was the issue of balls would hit it and then kind of die because it was hitting rubber that wasn't sitting at the bottom of the turf. So they would kind of like skid across the field, like at a weird pace. So if you look, too, there were a lot of errors in those early Legends games uh, mixed in with that. Speaking of the renovations being there were some problems with the way the lights were angled because they got new LEDs. Yeah. And uh, I believe they came back out after the first homestand to do something with that. But it's tough to do all that work when you have games every day. You know, there's no like big 10 day chunk of, you know, the team work and do what you got to do. Yeah, because if you're always having those two teams there. You always got to be using that ballpark. And that was kind of the the dual edge of that was you got to make sure the field holds up to it and it just feels more like both teams should have started on the road for a week or two to make sure everything was all set and ready there and as far as that transylvania college goes i really hope they're like the vampires or something like that it's just sitting there i think they're the pioneers but their logo oh, is a bat well that's a compromise i'm willing to make <laughs> it's a compromise i'm willing to make well i'm, I'm glad i'll pass that along very um, good <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a rough sort of situation that led to, uh, and it was made even worse because the sixth inning of what was it the Tuesday night game, okay. and that required them to go get a piece of the mound and then replace it, which would have been a tough set like tough task either way. But yeah. their next game was Wednesday, like a disaster scenario. Yeah, because that, that I remember when you were saying when all that was happening, I was like, how does a mound break? Like it just doesn't really ever happen. I've never seen. I've never seen it before. I really haven't. Not not especially not on turf. Yeah, it, it was. It's definitely my feel when I had seen it in person was that it wasn't maybe. It was a combination of things. I think maybe that mound itself 
isn't the best for what it's being used for, which is, I mean, every day, nine innings of professional pitchers on it. Pitchers from, you know, the, I can just speak for the guys on the legend side because I know them better. Like JJ Hoover's a big guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They got, uh, Jeff Thompson out there, big guy. They got Mason Cole, a big dude. Like that's, that's a lot on those mounds. And it, I mean, most of the guys are righties coming out of those pitching staffs right now. So it's just the same landing spots. It's, it's a difficult scenario, but I also think part of it was, uh, I think a rubber worked into it. Yeah. So guys were landing and it was just like landing with spikes on top of, you know, basically a hard plastic shell of the mound with the plastic grass and a little bit of rubber. And it wasn't, you know, sort of, spreading the impact and that like point of contact enough yeah so it just kept wearing quicker because it just kept getting bombarded however many times a game from you know the several dozen teams or so that play on there i mean it, it was quick it, so remember the field was just put together so nobody even really pitched on that mound before opening day so it's not like spring training wore that thing out yeah but day one jj hoover i know mentioned that hey that that we're really going to take care of that mound because it looks like it's wearing and then day two was officially people being like, yeah, that, that mount's getting worn out. There's, we're working a hole in that thing. And I mean, that, again, two days. And yeah. this was two and a half weeks before this next mound issue happened. Yeah. So how do you even go about like fixing that at this point? I mean, we're however many, nearly a month into the season at this point. I mean, it seems like you have to do something about it. But I mean, at this point, it's not exactly like you could just pause everything, go and fix it right so that way it lasts. It seems like you almost have to bandage this thing until you get through September. So uh, the, I guess the good thing is that mound, uh, a piece, like the one piece that yep. they needed of the mound. So it's actually been repaired or okay. replaced technically uh, in, in order to repair the whole thing. Now, there's a couple of sides to that. So I, I believe, I don't know if this was the, the actual solution they went with, but I know it's Courtney Hawkins is actually using his connections because he works in the turf industry okay. to find a mound to get to. So I'm not sure if that was the one they used, but don't even start on Courtney Hawkins, man. That guy's, oh, yeah. if you need anything done, Courtney Hawkins is your dude on the field or off, but yeah. that's a different thing for a different day. But yeah. um, the, the interesting thing I've heard from a couple of people is there was already concerns about the new mound piece getting worn down. Uh, after day one, I heard from a few different people that like, yo, this mound's a problem too. After day two, I actually heard less concerns. So we'll see if that means it's balancing. Maybe got some more rubber in it or whatever. I haven't seen it in person, but that's what I'm hearing. So keep an eye on that mound in Lexington because this might not be the end of that headache. Who knows? Maybe this will be like a headline story that comes up during the week that we don't even see coming. Maybe that's going to be the big thing. Oh, I would 100% see that coming. I, I was already ready with that. Day one, when they were like, "Oh, this mound's gonna be a problem too," I was like, "Oh man, here we go!" <laughs> Getting, you know, we have the video just sitting in the reserve. Like, all right, it's in the queue. I'm just ready to hit publish. I have the tweet in my draft. That's what I'll say. Oh, uh, but on a more positive note, Courtney Hawkins is raking. Of course, he is. Courtney Hawkins, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll say, I will say this. Um, and we'll talk about probably my time with the legends because yeah. I've spent the last six months with the legends in their front office. Uh, but I will, I will tell you this. Courtney Hawkins on the field is a monster man. I mean, yeah. boy, he's got a 1.40, 1.146 OPS plus or OPS right now. The OPS plus is something like five. 
which is, I mean, amazing. It, yeah. It's only sort of hurt because it's compared to what Riley Mahan's doing, which is a totally different situation. But yeah. uh, Hawkins, man, he's, if you go back his last, call it maybe 110 or 20 games now in the Atlantic League, he's hit 46 home runs, I think. So, it, I mean, it's unreal. Maybe it might be 44. I'm trying to keep track, but it's hard to count that fast. So, uh, but yeah, he's got eight home runs and 10 strikeouts. So if you're wanting to kind of level the guy's plan on, he's almost matching his home run strikeout totals. Um, and he's, I have seen a lot of players hit. I've seen professional players hit. I've seen players hit. I've gotten to spend some quality time watching Brandon Phillips hit recently. Yeah. I will tell you this. In person, Courtney Hawkins is the best hitter I've ever seen hit. Um, wow. he is working as like officially as the hitting coach over there right now. They, they don't even really brag about that because he's like, nah, like that, you know, that man's still, that's what not like, um, you know, usually the, the coaching, the player coaches you see are guys who are like on their way out of the career, but they're not even trying to officially slap that label on them publicly because, yeah. you know, that guy should and could be signed any day and they don't want, you know, a team to see that he's the coach and like, you know, yeah, make an assumption. That, you know, judgment, but I mean, it's something else. I've never seen somebody swing with such force and have their head move so little in a swing. It's I'm I'm very grateful for the time I got through to watch him do his thing, and uh, I know that he definitely has a reputation for being a bit of you know yeah. maybe difficult to deal with. It seems to be that if you are good to deal with with him, he's great to deal with. Uh, he's working right now, I know, with Northern Little League, which is like our inner city Little League here in Lexington, yeah. at like rehabbing all three of their fields which have been having drainage issues and flooding out and getting muddy and all that and he's like personally taking it on himself to like assess what needs to be done and working with that and to make sure they can get it done so i know we just steered right into a rant but if we're gonna talk about courtney hawkins man that is a guy i can not speak too highly of uh i cannot speak i guess how should i say that Uh, i cannot possibly speak too highly of because i think so highly of him yeah, I mean, he sounds like a great guy, and I mean, obviously, he's a great baseball player, and he sounds like a kind of guy that really, by July, should be playing in Mexico, because he seems like the kind of guy that is able to be at that level. I mean, he's been dominating, and you mentioned a couple other guys in there, I think Riley Mayhem being the one guy that's kind of just playing otherworldly at the moment, too, but mm-hmm. yeah, Hawkins always stands out, and he's done that very much so this year. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to it, I mean, Mexico, yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, I really believe too that yeah. if he, uh, I'm trying to find the right way to say it, but like, yeah. it, without exaggerating, I feel like he could hit at a major league level. I'm not saying he could start. I'm not saying he would set the world on fire. But what I'm saying is like, yeah. I have no doubt that if he wanted to like hop into like a double A, triple A system, he would put up numbers and, you know, he could make a major league club. So he's doing better than most Reds hitters are right now. Oh, God, easily. I mean, I, I really think if you live in Cincinnati, the best baseball you can see is probably in Lexington. <laughs> because, I mean, that's close, like an hour and a half away. All of a sudden, I found myself moving here into Reds country. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's just, it's just tough because as good as, as amazing as a hitter as Courtney Hawkins is, and, is, and man, he truly is just uh, the power he has is just unbelievable. The problem is, and I think we've seen with even a guy like like Adam Brett Walker in, in the American Association as well. Um, I think when you're looking at guys who are these, these big sluggers, but more like uh, more like DH, like left field, first base types, uh, it's tough for a lot of the a lot of the MLB organizations. And I guess they get picked up less often. But then we see 
for example, a guy like Adam Burt Walker going to going to Japan and making some money out there. I would love to see like Courtney Hawkins get a get a, get a shot in Japan or even maybe in, in Korea or something. I think that would be a, a good spot for him at some point as well. But I mean, as long as in the he's in the Atlantic League, I don't think anyone's going to complain. He's just going to rake and, and and put up numbers and just be one of the best hitters in the league, no matter what. I mean, I think you're exactly right. I think. He, especially if we talk about going to Korea, going to really any of the Asian leagues, he doesn't strike out. So, I mean, sure, he does occasionally. He gets on little stretches, but he's gotten much better even with contact. And that plays really well over there. And if you combine it with power, I mean, you can be you can be a god in those leagues. And I think, I mean, and, and I see it. Like, I, I, I understand, too, why certain guys don't get picked up, too. I mean, you can understand the concerns. I mean, he's, you know, 28, going to be 29 next year. He is, you know, an outfielder. It's not like there's any shortage of outfielders in the league. He was a 13th overall pick, like, and it didn't go well. Like his minor league time was uh, pretty much a disaster. Like, he, he, what was it? Double A, he hit like 210. Like, it wasn't the numbers weren't good. But also, you can see what he's done over the past couple of years, and see like how he's grown from his time since he got into any ball back in like 2019. And it's just, it, you wish he would get a shot because you know we see. You know, we see it every day and yeah. wish like someone would take notice. And that's not just Hawkins. I mean, that's a lot yeah. of guys. Like, you know, I mean, even I was worried about that with Josh Sala that people would say like, Oh, well, we already made up our mind on who he is. That's why I was so excited when he got picked up by Texas. But, um, you know, I, what, uh, that's a big thing with AOPB Roundup in general is that I really just want to see these guys get a shot. And whether that means talking about all the guy does at the plate or all the guy does off the field, I think that's something that like, we as like people around any ball could really do a service to the players and give back to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like that's why I'm so excited. I just saw Tyler Visa got bumped up to AAA St. Paul. I'm just looking at them like oh, he has a shot because he was just utterly dominant last year in the American Association. I mean, he did very good on a not so good Kane County. He was a, one of the very few bright spots there. So when he got picked up, I was like, oh, this looks pretty good. And now I saw he got promoted. I'm like, oh. He's close because he deserves that shot. And there's a lot of guys that deserve it. And like Adam Brett Walker, he wound up going over to uh, Japan. I was like, oh, good for him. Because he, for two years straight, just did everything you could possibly ask. The dude hit just dozens of home runs. He's hitting 300. I don't know what more you can really do. So, yeah, with a lot of these guys, it's like that. And also, I mean, like you could just tell from the kind of people they are. They are, by and large, really great guys. I mean. Again, just looking at the American Association, I know I've mentioned him a couple of times now, but a guy like BJ Lopez last night just decided to give a bath to some kids and whatnot. Like, just, just little stuff like that that you see, and then the more stuff just that you don't see that you just get from talking to these guys, it's like they just really want the opportunity, and they're really humble guys for the most part. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think when, when you look at guys and they're playing, they're playing in indie ball and they come to form a lot of, a lot of great relationships with the fans, especially the guys that are, that are there for two, three seasons and in some cases maybe more. Um, and it's just really cool to see that. And there's certainly, you certainly see them be like extremely grateful for whatever opportunity. Like, I mean, personally, it's so excited just to see him. I mean, wow, David Kubiak getting starts in AAA. Like at the at the end of the season last year, like su- super exciting, and uh, I think that uh, those those are always really cool to see. But wish it, you would, I just wish it would happen more, uh, just because I think a lot of these guys would would do better, like or, or more like upgrades over in AAA or AA or whatever holes that MLB organizations need to fill. But at the end of the day, that's 
I mean, it's not like it's not like MLB organizations really so much care about their double A AA and triple A records. Uh, they're they're looking to trying to develop prospects and, and whatnot. And of course, a lot of that has to do with all right, what was your signing bonus? How much how much do we have riding on you? And it's not so much uh, what kind of talent can we get in, in the sense of uh, and pitchers is a little bit different. It's definitely a lot easier to get picked up as a pitcher than it is mm-hmm. a, as a, as a position player. I mean, you look at the uh, any of the, any number of of indie ball alumni. I mean, uh, for example, about to take the mound here in a few minutes for the Red Sox, Rich Hill, Atlantic League alum as well. So uh, the, mm-hmm. it's definitely easier to, to get picked up as a pitcher, but especially like as a guy who, when you're near thirty around there, I mean, the numbers you have to put out in in indie ball. To, to get a look is unless you're unless maybe unless you're like in a premium defensive position uh, like a catcher or a shortstop and then maybe that changes the equation a little bit but uh, I think that it, it's always it is always great when you see the, these guys uh, get opportunities and uh, and certainly hope a guy like Courtney Hawkins is able to get uh, into an affiliated system or he can uh, more get a shot in, in Japan Korea even Taiwan is certainly a, a great league out there as well. Yeah, and I think it points out too just how difficult it is to make the majors, and especially from okay. indie ball, because like you got two sides of it. I mean, you can look at you know whether it's offense or deep or pitching rather. I mean, you need so many things to go right. You okay? So you got thirty major league teams. Well, only so many of them. Either you're a young guy who's doing well and they see the potential to develop you, or you're a guy who's older, in which case you're not going to develop you. So you need to be showing that you have what it takes to possibly be an MLB player in the next two years, which is a tough window. It's a tough thing to prove. You have to prove you're more able to do that than the people they already have on the payroll, people they've already invested time and money into. They have to have have somebody find you, a scout or somebody who's willing to, you know, put their name on the fact that they think you're a guy, despite the fact you're playing in middle of nowhere half the time and playing an indie ball. And remember, there's a reason you're an indie ball anyway, so you've got to outwork whatever it is that went wrong the first time you got a shot, whether it was in college or affiliate or whatever. It's there's a lot working against it. I mean, and you think about it, you see a guy like Enrique Persino, who's in Southern Maryland right now, who's yeah. in year two of being disgusting. Last year, he was probably the best reliever in the league, and now this year, he's 10 innings in, still hasn't allowed a run. I mean, it, since he got in this league, he's had, what, 67 and two-thirds innings, looks like 12.6 strikeouts per nine with a 1.6 ERA. Jesus. Why are you here? Yeah. Go. Bye. Like, there's no reason for you to be here. And it's just, you know, he's 30 years old now. It's tough, you know. There's yeah. a lot of guys who can fill in in bullpen roles and affiliated uh, ball. And it's just, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to AAA and see if he's got it? I mean, that's a tough sell for a lot of teams, which it sucks to see. Yeah, and then you have even more organizations that are just like, oh, we just need some guy to go out and eat innings for like a week or two. Let's just pick up some random guy, let him blow his arm out, and then be done with him. You have that yeah, happen they, fairly they, often too. And I mean, if you're yeah. a player, you're going to take the opportunity because you think, well, I got nothing to lose. Exactly. Get that pay for a couple of weeks and sh- maybe you show out for a couple of weeks and then you got yourself a spot long term. But it's, it's a tough battle, man. Don't envy it. Yeah, no, nah, it, it definitely is. And another thing that's kind of tough these days seems to be being a uh, fairy hawk. I mean, they aren't doing too great either. I will say this. I've got the hot take, which is the Fairy Hawks are fine. It is, they will be okay. So there's some things that need to be fixed. Okay. All right. Hold on. We're about to launch into a nuanced point here. So give me a sec because it's right. going to sound dumb for a minute when we bring it home. So 
while they have started 0-9, you might recall like a lot of those games were one-run, two-run yeah. games. So even while they were like 0-9, they had, I think, the sixth or seventh best win different or uh, run differential, rather. Yeah. So they weren't getting blown out. Like Yeah, they were just it blowing just, it late. Know, it missing. Yeah, and it was either, you know, they didn't have – they were good pitching-wise, but they had to be really good pitching-wise, which is very difficult in this league. So what it was coming down to, it seemed like, at least, you know, from where I was sitting, is they – you know, they have a couple good hitters and, you know, it's tough. They, their offense wasn't there. It's tough to sign on an Atlantic League lineup. And then they had some good pitchers. But if those pitchers, you know, couldn't get you a win in the first game or two, then you start to have issues with depth and bullpen depth. And you start to cough up those late leads and things like that. So basically they hit this weird rhythm where, you know, the, they would start, they had, you know, aces against aces. So the offense wasn't doing anything, but, you know, the pitching looked good, but they would still lose those games because the offense couldn't do anything against other teams' best pitchers. Then, you know, as a week drags on, you get a little bit deeper into the bullpens and whatever. And sure, the offense started to score some runs, like four or five runs sometimes. But at the same time, they were putting out their worst bullpen arms because their bullpen was getting a little more worn as the week would go on. Yeah. And they'd still lose those games. And they just couldn't get out of that trap. But, you know, luckily they found another team in York, which has a very similar composition. And, you know, there are yeah. two worst offenses in defense or no, two worst offenses in the league, but the defense is, or the pitching is rather uh, pretty good for Staten Island. So, uh, when they can get it, when they can get their, the top part of their uh, rotation complemented with a few runs and some solid bullpen work, they're, they're not a bad team. I think they're a middle of the pack team. They still settle in. I think they're very comparable in uh, almost a reverse way to Gastonia last year, where Gastonia was just offense and mashing constantly. I think Staten Island is pitching, and you know they do have the the potential for completely falling apart randomly. But um, you know it's pitching and you know, hoping they can get by with a few runs of offense here and there. But uh, in, in the same vein, I think as Gastonia last year, they're also having some issues, which is normal lengthy growing pains with yeah. you know front office and clubhouse drama so they're working for all of that yeah and i was just about to say one of the things that would help that offense is if you had kevin kraus still on your team but that situation kind of got a bit muddy and did not work out well for anybody yeah. it, it sounds there's you know two sides to every story yeah kevin very publicly you know gave the story of what he thought what he how he felt slighted and um what i've also heard is that maybe kevin wasn't always the easiest to deal with which yeah. could have stemmed from maybe being promised things that weren't delivered on as the local guy. Mm. But at the same time, I'm hearing from multiple people that maybe Edgardo Alfonso might need to adapt a little bit more to what the Atlantic League is and that this isn't, you know, a develop, uh, one of like the development league teams. This isn't, you know, a high school team. This is, you know, you can't be doing running before, you know, this isn't, yeah. you know, it, it's just, it's not one of those things. And there, there have been a few voices who have definitely expressed concern about that, but, I have heard those voices get a little bit quieter as they've won three straight games here. So um, we'll see. I mean, by the time this thing airs, we could learn a lot more about that. But what I was hearing was, you know, maybe there would be a tough conversation regarding the coaching staff there by the end of the homestand. And I think that York sweep definitely alleviated that for now. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's as we're recording, it's May 14th. So, and just coming out on May 21st. So there's obviously going to be a lot that happens uh, in that time frame. But yeah, I mean, that, that would explain too a lot of the, why they were kind of trying, starting to fall apart in games towards you got to the end. If you're doing all this other work during the week and before games, 
then yeah, you're going to start to feel it before other teams are going to feel they're not doing that. But I will say I am coming around to your argument because I believe it was last week, which is weird for me to reference something that we did yesterday as last week, but we're going to work through that. It's, it, I was making the point where it's like, they're not as bad, but they're still at a certain point. You are what your record says you are. And they, I'm willing to put them in that kind of same group as the two Pennsylvania teams where it's like, they're not good, but they're not like this abysmal bad. Although that first road trip to open up the season definitely didn't do them any favors there. But I mean, you make a very good point about it when you're new to this and you have a bunch of people that are generally speaking new to the Atlantic League and don't really know how the system works and can't really tell the difference, at least operationally from independent ball versus affiliated ball that that in and of itself is going to create issues and some confusion early on there so that's part of it yeah and i really think too of those three teams of lancaster york and staten island staten island's probably the middle one if i had to yeah. rank them i would say it's lancaster it's staten island that's york uh but i would also say those are three where any given day they approach games against each other with roughly a 50 50 shot of winning um, York is kind of the outlier, I would say, Lancaster, and I, I would give Lancaster a solid edge most of the time when they play York. Of course, Lancaster just lost yeah. to York yesterday, so that, I guess, maybe goes to the point that they're about even, but it is tough to sort of <laughs> yeah. even put into context how bad York's bullpen is. They have an ERA plus of eight right now, which is, I, I, I've never seen. That's amazing. Yeah. That it's just, I mean, remember 100 being league average for ERA plus. So an eight is as bad as you can get. Um, that is definitely a problem. But beyond that, I think those three teams will probably battle, and this will be a Long Island versus Southern Maryland battle. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a different conversation about, you know, what the North actually looks like big picture. But I think Staten Island will be okay. I think they'll survive this year. And as we are seeing with Gastonia right now, you know, you're just a couple of little tweaks and adjustments away from getting to where you might want to be. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing that's got me the most by surprise is Gastonia being as good as they are. And the thing is, it's exciting baseball, too. It's not like they're doing this in some sort of methodical, boring way. It's high action, high action event type baseball. That's, that's what's really great to see about them. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and Gastonia, I'm a little torn on because I yeah. will say this. They're definitely doing some things very well. I think they're a good team. They're a better team than they were last year from what happened last year when it came to bullpen usage last time I was here I was saying you know this bullpen usage is not only bad it's in fact you know yeah. probably needs to be addressed possibly at a league level now this is a much different team um, I will say okay let me get through the positives yeah. they've stirred up their baseball operations department uh, baseball, uh, Brady Salisbury he's done a great job he's you know, really Putting together a full roster, they've bounced back from losing guys. Like um, they brought back Jake Skull, that's huge. Boot Powell into Lexington, so they had to figure out how to fill that gap. Mm. Um, all of that's good. Manuel Geraldo also went; he's a key infielder for them, even though he didn't put up a ton of offense. Um, but I will say that they've definitely put together a more complete team, a more complete pitching staff. They seem to be managing a bit better. And but here's the but: yeah, um, you know, it's easy to do that when you're winning, and it's you know, their first streak of games there where they really were raking in the wins. They played four against Lancaster. They played three against the Genomes. They played three against the Ferry Hawks. And then they played, what, York, I think. Yeah. And, you know, since then, it's been a little more rough. Uh, 
So I think that's definitely worth considering. I don't think Gastonia is the team they've shown themselves to be at 14 and four necessarily. Uh, I'm not saying that they're necessarily a bad team, but I I think they're probably going to settle in right around 500 to maybe a couple games above 500 by the time the season ends. That's not a criticism. That's a big improvement over last year, but I, I just don't see them as, you know, the threat. I think Southern Maryland, um, and high point are probably above them. Uh, and I think yesterday will probably beat the teams that they should beat, which is a big deal in this league. But I don't necessarily see them making the playoffs and making a run here. Yeah, Ryan, I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally with you on the sense that, uh, I, I said, like I said, I'm see again, talking about the show that, that, uh, that just dropped yesterday and talking as in, as in last week, but essentially I, I, I kind of did think that a lot of Gastonia was, was talking about how I think, even though Gastonia is off to a great start and whatnot, uh, there's, I think that their sec, their success and their record, uh, is a little bit unsustainable. And I think when, when they start, when they start playing a lot of the better teams, they're going to, they, they could start to see their record even out a little bit. Uh, like High Point is, is starting to be on the, like, I think at, at the moment, I think, it, I think High Point is, the pretty clear favorite to me as far as to win the first half in the South, even though the whole division as a whole is, is really good. But I, I agree with this in the sense that even though Gastonia is good and of course significantly improves over last year, specifically on the pitching end, they're much improved over a season ago. Uh, however, I, I don't think that they're going to be able to sustain it for an entire half. And I guess we'll see what happens in the second half, but I, I think high point, I would still be pretty comfortable in picking, uh, to, to win this first half as it stands right now. I think they have a good start. I think the Rockers are on them, but the Rockers are faltering too. Similar issues, I think. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I just realized too, after Gastonia played York, they went back to Staten Island. So, I mean, if you showed me that start, where it's all Staten Island, York, Lancaster, the Genomes, and, you know, what, Lancaster again, or York again, like, and you said there was 15 games in there, I would have probably said, I mean, I'd like to win all of those series. And it, with that, it would be at least 10 and 5. 13 and 2 isn't, you know, that's a good yeah. start, but it's not out of the question. Like those, those are probably the only combinations of teams where you could look at 13 and 2 and be like, yeah, that, you know, that's, <laughs> that, that's a, that feels okay. Um, uh, yeah, I definitely think some things are going to catch up with this team. Uh, it has helped them that they have not been had to beat up the bullpen early in the year here, like they had last year. Uh, it's helped them that, you know, they've gotten to, you know, play with some success, which is good. I, I think last year was difficult because anytime you start out a year with like, you know, difficulties, whether you're, their record wasn't all that bad to start the year last year, but it's just, and they were growing pains. And I, I think at least gets a good vibe in the clubhouse. And that's something that Gastonia really needed. So that, that will help them. But I think if they get in, they're going to have to either win this first half or they're going to have to find a way to maybe, snatch even a wild card because I think it's only going to get more difficult for them um, especially in the, the league they're currently in because high point they are struggling they've lost three or four but they're right on them uh, Lexington is a definitely the reverse of last year that's a second half team they're building for the second half and the genomes are slowly they, I mean that's a the genomes are basically a different team than they were the first week of the season so that's also going to be a team that improves as the year goes on yeah I like 
at least for me, I do think a wild card is in play. I mean, we look at the North Division, and nobody, with the exception of Southern Maryland, has really mm-hmm. jumped out there. And I understand Long Island's going to do Long Island things, which is they're just going to revamp their whole roster, probably add something that's on a major league roster right now by the end of the year, and that's going to be that, and they'll find a way to win. But, I mean, they're not really lighting the world on fire. And, yeah, they technically won last night, but that was a game that was shortened by fog, and it was only a one-run victory. So I feel like we play the full game. Maybe they don't exactly pull that one out against a a high-point team that, quite frankly, has been playing or is by better team than Long Island is right now. So, like, I I still think Gastonia has a shot at this. I, I understand weak schedule benefits them, but what you do with the weak schedule also matters. Agreed. And I think, so the way it breaks down right now, because I always run the playoff odds as much as possible. Yeah. I guess they has got a 68% chance of making the playoffs. Uh, most of that for them, they've got a 54% chance of making the playoffs out of the first half here. Okay. So it, it's worth knowing that it's going to be a far more difficult road. If they can't, I would say if they can't hang on to win the first half, that does not bode well. That means they're sliding already for them being able to hit the brakes and get that thing going back back in the right direction for the second half. Um, I, I would definitely keep an eye, though, on... If we're talking wild card, I think it's actually more likely to probably be a team like Lexington. Uh, I mm. think... Or even Charleston, who showed last year that they can bounce back quick. It's a different coach down there. It's Billy Horn, but we, we've all seen the work oh. of Billy Horn, so we don't doubt that. Um, you know, he's still getting himself situated in Charleston a little bit. Um, Lexington is building for the second half already. This kind of, they knew that they weren't going to bring in their A squad, but they still have some Visa guys coming in who are going to tear it up. I, I think if Gastonia needs a wild card to get in, I don't know that they'll be the team to get it done because that means they're going in the wrong direction already at the end of the first half. Um, when it comes to that wild card, for those who, who might not know, the Atlantic League has the weird thing of, um, two divisions, two halves per season. If you win either half, you guarantee yourself a playoff spot. If the same team wins their division both halves, that opens up a wild card spot for the best remaining record in either division. So, uh, with the current setup right now as it stands today, I mean, Long Island would be in fifth, they would be in fifth place if we added them as a sixth team to the South division. And that is who is in second place right now for the North. So, um, I think this is definitely a situation, shape might be a situation where we could be seeing a wild card team. Uh, I mean, of course, High point or guessing it could also be that team that does it, but I, I do think it would probably be a team who is more likely to charge up in the standings from the South Division than maybe one that's falling backwards and misses winning the first half. Hmm. Which can I just say again, my deep seated hatred for this playoff system and how it should be eliminated, and we could just go ahead and you know take the top two teams in each division and go with that at the end of the year instead of doing the half system, which makes zero sense to do. Okay, can I have a minute? Can I have a minute? Can sure. I have a minute? Can go, I have a minute? Go for it. Cool, 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 cool. Let's talk about it. So, uh, actually, you and I just texted about this because I yep. gave it to me to be the guy deep diving through the league. Yep. Initially, when this all started, where they had enough teams to split into divisions and you know, they're doing halves, yep. if you won both halves, you would get to ho- uh, skip straight to the championship. You didn't have to play a divisional. Hmm. I think there's some argument to be made for that one. I can accept that. Yeah. But what drives me crazy is that we almost had a situation last year where I don't believe it played out this way. Of course, my, my mind is a little bit muddy right now with yeah. the number of standings I've seen. But Long Island, if they had won their division, or maybe they even did, but it, they essentially, 
Yeah, you know what? I remember what went down. But basically, if they had won their division, they still would have had to play uh, a like make the trip down to probably Southern Maryland to play Southern Maryland again. Like yeah. basically, there's no reward for winning both halves. It just punishes another team. It, it's a very weird setup. And I think if you do want to split it up that way, you have to have the reward aspect and the punishment aspect of you know. If you can't win your division either half, you know, you might end up in a bad situation. High Point nearly had the best record in the league last year, didn't make the playoffs because they never won their division. But we also need to be able to, you know, have a flip side of that where there's motivation to win your division twice. And uh, I've been thinking more and more if we want to do the two halves situation, maybe think about doing something where, like, sure, if you're winning at the first half, you get in the playoffs, but, you know, you're are only guaranteed one home game in the first round at that point, or two home games if it's a best of five. And then, you know, the standings don't reset to zero. They just keep counting. Okay. Uh, that's something possibly. Uh, I mean, I just think there needs to be a better benefit to it. I just, the current setup doesn't make sense. And don't get me started on the tiebreakers because the tiebreaker yeah. is ridiculous because it works out where if Southern Maryland, we'll use the North Division example, say Long Island okay. wins the division in the first half. If Southern Maryland and Long Island tie in the second half, okay. all the tiebreakers don't matter. The tiebreaker is automatically going to Southern Maryland because they have not won the division yet and they don't have a claim on it yet. So Southern Maryland could lose every tiebreaker, not be basically have lost the division two straight times and they get all the perks of having won the division. So they can just straight up be the more inferior team, and then they just get in by virtue of, well, the other guys are already in, so we might as well just let you win. Exactly right. It's just it's a broken system altogether, and I know it's early to be complaining about this for 20 games in, yeah. but it just, eh, when already we have to talk about, like, well, how many teams will make it from the North Division because of this weird system, it's a problem. Yeah, because, like, honestly, again, what I'd almost just be fine with is if you want to do halves, that's cool. Can we just like say the best two overall teams or the best overall team gets a playoff spot from the first half and then everything else is open for the second half? Cause like, what doesn't make sense to me half wise is we know what the turnover is with these rosters. So you know, there's going to be a lot of turnover, especially with good teams. So you can get totally rated like at the end of June, beginning of July, right when the first half ends still limp forward, win your division, and then just be god-awful in the second half and get bounced easily in the first round. It, it just makes very little sense to me. Plus, like you said, there's no real incentive to keep trying to win in the second half if you already won the first half. You're just going out there saying, all right, well, we're just killing the clock until we get to the end of September. So there makes no sense there. And like we've seen other leagues do things differently. Like I'm not huge on what the American Association's doing this year. Pick your opponents, fine, that's whatever, but I don't love letting, you know, what is it, four teams in each division that has, like, five teams in total or six teams in total in it, and that's just a little excessive to me when we're letting, like, 60% of the league into the postseason, but, you know, it's still a better system, at least it rewards you for playing the full year, same thing with the Frontier League, where, hey, it's the top three in each division, each division has eight teams in it, so you better try to win, there's an incentive to win here, you know, like, even if... And I understand there's 10 teams, so you really don't want to go to having six out of the 10 teams make the postseason, but I'd even be more willing to go, okay, well, if 
we have you add like a wild card game in there and then you have some sort of incentive for that so whichever half winner is better wins the overall thing or your overall record determines who's the one seed and then you know you have your wild card and your lesser half division winner play in a wild card game like something like that would even be better in my mind than what we have now because what we have now just seems like such a terrible system yeah i mean i would say that i i'm slightly partial to the idea of maybe if you win the first half again keep counting i don't like the reset necessarily of the standing yeah but i think it could guarantee you at minimum play like basically have a play-in game to the playoff like uh i don't know like i just think this the current system is weird and but look i I don't want to be all critical because it's hard to make like i'm just sitting here like i don't know because there is it's difficult for a 10 team the two division league to make something because all right so let's say right now then we have uh how we want to do it we want to do the division winners okay that gives you gastonia and southern maryland at this point and then if you want to go with two wildcard teams that either means you know, if you want to go with the second best team, you can't just do second best team from each division because that doesn't reward winning the division. Yeah. But then if you say, well, the second best team or like the, if you go by record of like overall and it could be, you know, two South division teams or two North division teams, well, that gets squirrely too. Cause sure, right now it would be High Point and Charleston in the South. But say if the South, if the North division, instead of being, you know, garbage fire, Staten Island, York, and Lancaster. Yeah. If it instead was garbage fire, Staten Island, and York, and well, no, I mean, let's say those three are, are garbage fire, and Long Island is not good, but beats them every time you play them, they're going to get themselves a wild card spot based just on playing Lancaster, York, and Staten Island roughly 60 times during the season. Um, I mean, on the flip side, you could say the same thing. This year, because of scheduling weirdness and other weirdness, the Genomes and Legends play 40-something times. So if you're going to play 40 times, it looked really early on here. They're improving already. But it looked like the Genomes could have been a legitimate disaster. And if that was the case, you're giving the defending champions 40 games against what could have been the worst team in the league. And then you're saying they have a fair shot with the wild card as everyone else? Like That's tough, man. Yeah, I mean, that's basically a 30-10 and record you're handing them. You know, that's yeah. not good. I, I, I'm almost in favor when you're at this level, unless you find a way to add, say, another two teams that will be, you know, permanent options there to get you up to 12 or ideally, you know, maybe even more than that. If you could just go back to having one division, I understand it's not popular, but let's be honest, it's not like you have that selective of a schedule as is, you know, you're still playing pretty much everybody roughly the same amount. It's not like it's that much, uh, where you're only playing divisional games that much, yeah, there's more of a preference, but you're still roughly the same. So if you go to one giant division, then I'd almost be fine with the halves because at least it's like, well, everybody had their shot at it. So, and it, all right, I'll, I'll say this is from somebody who was inside of a front office at the time on this. Yeah. Um, this season's schedule was really poorly done. They had yeah. somebody come in to do it. They just did not do a good job. It was disor- it's disorganized. It was evident that at times they thought through the logistics of, you know, okay, going from point A to point B to point C makes sense, but they didn't like have a map in front of them that said necessarily where every team was before and after. So you'd have teams like, there's a couple times Long Island goes from Long Island to Kentucky and back to Long Island without like stopping to play in PA, without stopping to play Charleston. Like there's no need for that. I'll say my maybe hot scheduling take for the Atlantic League is they could easily do one giant division of 10 teams 
and get really creative with their playoff situation if they wanted to. And that would ensure that the best team makes it. And you might say, well, you know, how would the schedule work? I think you could play everybody an equal number of teams at times. I think roughly like, oh God, math is so hard. You know what I mean? But like play every team 14, 15 times and it won't be too ridiculous because there's a way to do it. I mean, if you're, the legends you don't necessarily love going up to New York, but if you hit the Ferry Hawks and the Ducks, and if you really stretch it to a week and a half long road trip, you can hit Hagerstown either on like the way up or the way back, assuming they're in the league next year, or yeah. they hit Charleston even, and then you're cutting your drive in half. So you only have one big travel day. You can do that on the day off. You can take two series up in New York, and then you can hit another travel day halfway home on the next day off because you have Mondays off and then you come home. So there's a way to do it. And I don't think it's actually too ridiculous to say, I think um, uh, there's not one of those things where like, I remember when the Phillies were really hitting like in, they really had their stride going and they were selling out every game. It was almost impossible to see the Mets and the Braves when they came to town because it's a division rival. Yeah. I mean, you just don't see that in this league. You don't see the sort of, demand for seeing the rival come in. It's just, it's not like that. There's too much turnover with teams right now. I know Lancaster and York have a more unique situation, but even there, I just don't think it matters all that much. Um, but I, I think if my suggestion would be actually switching to one big division, play everybody an even number of times that get some different players in front of people. Uh, you talk about like, you know, trying to get people in the ballpark. I think, Long Island or Staten Island might draw some people, but would would draw people more is if there's a big name like the way Brandon Phillips was on the Legend last year. Yeah. Having him come up to Staten Island that could sell more tickets for them if he comes up a couple extra times. I think that's a big deal. So I think that would be something to think on. Yeah, no, honestly, that I think is the best solution. I've suggested that on this show before, and somebody on this show has said, "No, you don't want to do one division." Isn't that right? Yeah, I I don't think one division is. To me, realistic just because of just because of the the travel involved, and, and I get the idea that that there's not as much of a demand for a division rival, financially speaking. But what about? I just think it's not realistic to have a team like uh, to have a team like Long Island and Staten Island travel all the way down to play uh, Lexington and Charleston as many just as many times as. Uh, say playing York, York, uh, York or, or Lancaster. I, I just don't think it makes sense in that way. And I also think that like baseball is meant to have divisions, even if it's two divisions. I, I just, it can't really envision a baseball league, uh, without divisions, especially one that's a, that's a 10 team league. And, you know, could be, then that, uh, could be expanding maybe even to 12 in the, in, in the near future. I don't know. It's just to me, I, I don't, I, I think it's the league is far too spread out to pull off a, a one division, a one division thing. Um, now I think that I, I, I don't, so I don't really have an issue with the way that the divisions are, are drawn now, but I agree, but I agree with Ryan's point that saying is, uh, the schedule, the scheduling, and if, if, if indeed Long Island is, is going down to Charleston slash Lexington or playing Wild Health or playing the, the genomes in Lexington, uh, they're just for a three game road trip and then coming back to Long Island. Why would you, why, why would you do it like that? It seems like the Frontier League has kind of figured it out, uh, in, in that sense. And of course the Frontier League is probably more spread out, but the Atlantic League's moving further, further south at that point. 
Um, I, I, just, I think one division is, it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to me to make a whole lot of sense personally. Yeah. And I can feel that. I mean, it's definitely tough to like make it work. The number of things you have to be able to chain together to figure out like the best way to make the road trip happen. Um, you know, you like to think it's, it's like, I mean, I'm looking at it. it there's weird things like the fact that like Southern Maryland to Charleston to Lexington doesn't look like a bad drive because it's like, if you look at it on a map, it is almost a direct straight line straight through Charleston to Lexington. But because Southern Maryland is in a weird spot and because Charleston's in a weird spot, you have to drive like north and then like west and then south and then west and then north to really get from Southern Maryland to Charleston. And then it's a nice, easy commute to Lexington. But it's like, you know, there's a lot of oddities like that where even just looking at a map, it's, it's hard to really you know, map it out and say, oh, that's just, you know, just drive on that way because it's actually three hours longer than you think. So, yeah, I feel you. And it's definitely a complicated one, but um, I am going to have the software moment of realizing that most people listening right now probably do not want to hear the uh, the finer points of Atlantic League scheduling. So maybe I'll, uh, I'll let this one go for now and maybe save the LPP Roundup video in the future. Yeah, because the only other point I wanted to make on this before we move on, because I think you do make a good point about uh, the intricate nature of schedule making, is the easiest solution to this is just adding two more teams in like the greater New York, New Jersey, New England area. I think you could even go to three divisions, take your division winners from each of them, and then uh, just one general wild card and then your solutions had, you know, because you could take the middle teams at two Pennsylvania and then what would be the two Maryland teams, put them there, then take your Lexington, your Charleston, your two North Carolina, put them off to the side, and then you'd have your northern teams put them there. Like, that would be ideal, at least in my mind. But, uh, I mean, you mentioned the whole driving routes are a bit different. But uh, I mean, it, it's so frustrating because as is, we're close. Like, yeah. Charleston and Lexington is, I mean, it's literally, I think, 95% of the drive is just on one highway. It's like a two-and-a-half-hour drive. Uh, High Point and Gastonia, they're grouped together. Like, if you could just throw, like, one more team... Like it, all you need to do is like fit a couple pockets. Like even as I know you love your Jersey Atlantic baseball, but yeah. like Long Island, Staten Island, Lancaster, York, that's a that's pretty fine. tight. Division. That's fine. Hagerstown, Southern Maryland, that's a great start. And then if you want to make it like, you know, Waldorf, Maryland to again, like to Charleston, I, I get it. Like that's not exactly the most popular drive, but like it's doable. Um, I just think, it's frustrating. It's yeah. really frustrating because they're not that far off. Like they're, they're so close to having a completely reasonable thing, but like, it's just, you have a bunch of good duos is what you have. It's always like they're done in pairs, but you need them a little bit more than pairs or the pairs to be closer. So you can actually have a division. It's almost like when they That's almost it. did uh Virginia beach a couple of years back. I think it was almost that, a decade ago now. That would have been nice. Good. It's so funny you say that because I was thinking that what this league needs is a team in Virginia. Like, yeah. uh, that's, it, it sounds like, you know, just put a team in Virginia. That's not what I mean. But yeah. like, they really do need some sort of, uh, the South compared to the North is so spread. Yeah. And the only reason the North seems spread is because, you know, the blue crabs are down their own compared to everyone else. But once you put Hagers down there, you know, it's also worth mentioning where is Hagerstown going to go? Are they going to be in the south or are they going to move the blue crabs down to the south? Because Hagerstown is, I mean, by, I mean, it's not to exaggerate, it's by York. It is, I mean, York to Hagerstown is 
not a long drive whatsoever. So yeah. I think it's probably going to be considered, I think, yeah, it's an hour and a half from York to Hagerstown right now. Yeah. So I don't see a way that you can keep Southern Maryland in the North. And I think they're going to have to realign the divisions either way, but it'd be a good time. I'm sure they're already looking at Virginia. I know there's a couple of teams who, you know, might be in the Appalachian league who aren't thrilled about their current association, but you know, the Atlantic League is cost prohibitive, man. It takes yeah. about $3 million to get into the Atlantic League. And that's, you know, that's a tough startup cost, especially when if you were to look at a lot of the Atlantic League teams financially, they're not blown out of the water right now. They need a real marketing push. They need a real broadcast push. They need to read to, to get a better long-term vision to really sell a lot of people on the idea, I think, of Atlantic League baseball. Uh, I think that's why the American Association has done really well adding teams lately. Yeah. Uh, I think they've, you know, they, with their, their broadcasts, with, you know, their marketing vision, same with the Frontier League having a more unified push right now. I think right now the Atlantic League, from a business perspective, they might not be the most promising, ask, like, might not be the most promising league to get involved with if you're already, you know, probably not chock full of resources as somebody owning a team in a different league right now. Yeah, I mean, like with the Frontier League, I got to imagine at the very least, player salaries are going to be lower than what you're going to be paying in the Atlantic League. That's a major expense right there. And like I was talking to someone not too long ago, and it's like the Atlantic League, like I like the rankings nostalgia wise. It's always been the same. But for that very reason, it feels like they should be rebranding. They should well, maybe not rebranding, but refreshing the brand. Like the Frontier League's been around since 93. They finally got around to doing a new look to it. Same thing. The American Association's been around for some time. They went ahead and redid it, too. They could just really use a giant overhaul on it. And it just seems like nobody really wants to be the team that doesn't. And you make a good point where there are a lot of other options out there if you want to go out and join a professional league that's not, you know, affiliated. The American Association is a lot more tempting. And I think the Frontier League, to be quite honest, is probably the most tempting just off of a cost basis. Yep. I agree with you there. Um, yeah, is. I mean, yeah. I know enough to know that nobody wants my thoughts, yeah. uh, at least around the Atlantic League, on maybe the direction of. Uh, I there is a certain way that things could and should be marketed, and I think if without going down the business rabbit hole too much, yeah. uh, but I have some strong feelings on you know yeah. the, the business of independent baseball. I think it, it sounds cliche, but the Savannah bananas have to be the model. Um, yeah. It doesn't mean that you need guys in kilts dancing on the field. It doesn't mean that you need to be putting, you know, time clocks on games and, you know, making TikToks mid-pitch and all that stuff. But what it means is on the field, I think if you want to one-up the Savannah Bananas right now, which has to be the goal, because yeah. no team can recreate recreate what the Bananas do because it's too, too unique, and also then you're just the second team to do it. So there's no point. Yeah. I think what – if the Atlantic League is really thinking, and I think if any team is really, or any league is really thinking right now, yeah. they'll take the approach of the Savannah Bananas from the warning track out. So that means, you know, on field fun between innings. That means fun in the crowd. That means fun with the crowd, fun coming into the game, fun with the food, fun with the way they do social media, fun with the way they work with the community, all that stuff above and beyond, over the top, no bad ideas, throw it all on the table. And then on the field, really hone in on the best possible talent. And that's something that I think Lexington showed was possible last year. I think it's something that we've seen flashes of with the Ducks, and which I think is frustrating because I think the Atlantic is probably the team, the league closest to doing the top talent 
Yeah. They're so far away from doing the top product as a whole for the fans. And I think leaning fully that direction, the first team to do that and the first league to do that, they're going to come out way ahead of everybody else. Yeah. I mean, like at St. Paul, for years they were doing things like this with the various promotions they did. You know, the mm-hmm. whole, they partnered, I think, with like the Minnesota, Minnesota Atheist League. And they became the Mr. Paul Ainsford League. They did a darkness game where they started playing before the sun rose and played into it. You know, they have the whole pig thing. For years, they were doing all sorts of crazy stuff like that. They held a championship parade where they just went from the top of the street to the ballpark down the street. Just little stuff like that. And I mean, look at where that got them, you know. So, like, things like that are it. But I do agree. I think it's like the Atlantic League. And part of me loves it, but part of me understands this isn't good business that they take themselves almost too seriously. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, there was only a handful of teams that could really do that. And most of them are either gone, moved to affiliated ball, or there's like one, you know, really one left standing that really can get away with doing that. Yeah, and it's a shame because I can tell you from the inside, looking out, my frustration that you were working on the marketing side with things because I was kind of on baseball and marketing yeah. was – uh, the league does take itself very seriously to the point of, you know, there's a league now proclamation that you do not use the term indie ball anymore if you're one of their teams uh, or independent baseball. You only use MLB Partner League, which I understand the money that's involved and whatever else. But, yeah, I think there's teams across the league that, you know, they might have been broken up with by MLB. And there's also teams that their whole goal has been to be affiliated with MLB. Yeah. And I think there's an urge to lean hard into like MLB affiliation because it's new and shiny. It's been the goal for so many decision-making teams in the league for so long. Yeah. But it, it's, you know, one size doesn't fit all, even with just 10 teams. And things that might, you know, work for Long Island and be great for Long Island, be able to say, hey, we're affiliated with MLB, you know, might leave a bad taste in the mouth of Charleston and Lexington at times because, you know, they yeah. did have that affiliation and now they don't. Uh, and, you know, even from a perspective where I, from my experience, Charleston's market's very healthy because they have, a, frankly, a, a good anchor into the Charleston community based on a lack of like other, um, other, <laughs> if we're really being honest in Charleston. Yeah. Um, but I think like Lexington, where maybe people aren't turning out to Lexington games the way they used to, I mean, it, it might be helpful to them to have, you know, the opportunity to say, okay, forget MLB, we're indie ball, like lean into more of the outlaw baseball vibe. And yeah. like, we're out here, we're doing what we want. We don't need any of that. We don't need the structure of that. Like, let's come out here and have a good time. And that might, I think that breathes more life into a market for certain teams. It's not everybody, but I think, you know, weird things like limiting what branding and marketing specific teams can do is a sign that maybe the Atlantic League is still kind of swinging and missing on the big picture here. Yeah, and I mean, also, there's just a lot of people that don't really understand what the hell partner league means, you know? Mm-hmm. If you hear partner league, it's like, well, are you affiliated? It's like, well, no, not exactly, but then you don't use the term independent. Before, it was pretty cut and dry, and also in a lot of these markets, for years, you were kind of going, we're independent league baseball, and now it's a switch there. So it creates some confusion there, too, I got to imagine, but you're right in that I got to imagine if you... It's like having your, uh, keep seeing your ex all over town. It's like, well, hey, you know, I'd like to forget that this happened for a while because they basically told me to screw off because they didn't want me for whatever reason. And there's going to be more teams like that. If supposedly they're going to keep cutting minor league teams, you're going to be having the opportunity to add more clubs to your uh, roster of the league as a whole. So 
you know, it, it may not be the best strategy. Like you're saying, I, I got to agree with that. It just is like the same old approach and the one size fits all in a league and in a system that kind of, to be blunt, has never been based off of one size fits all. It's always been the outcast leagues that either for territorial reasons or just possible financial reasons or just straight up, we could get a better deal from some other city have always kind of been the last option here and kind of tailor make to your market and let yourself get crazy when you're not saying, okay, you can't get crazy anymore. And it's just, this is how you're going to do it. It isn't a recipe for success. No, I, yeah, I think you're really on that. And I think in the end, it really comes down to, um, there's when it, I'm trying to think of the right sort yeah. of verbiage on it, but for MLB affiliated teams, like, you know what you're going to. It's a minor league baseball team. Yeah. Like, that's, well, okay, so it's like one of the lo- lower leagues. Got it. Yeah. Now, when it comes to, you can either propose, like, present people independent baseball or you can present them MLB partner leagues. And unless you're a baseball person, you probably need an explanation for both. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like one of those things where, oh, I get it. And when the two explanation options are, well, we're MLB partner leagues, so we're affiliated with baseball, with Major League Baseball, and that means, you know, we, well, we don't play by the rules necessarily. We don't, you know, have MLB players here necessarily. We don't have MLB logos necessarily. We don't have MLB, you know, public ties necessarily. But, like, we're affiliated with them, which means, you know, they acknowledge us. Like, that's yeah. kind of what it is. Like, it's weird yeah. to think, but, like, it, it's tough. Then when it's independent ball, it's like, oh, we got the best players, especially when it's Atlantic League and you can yeah. really have that claim on things. Hey, we got the best players who like either didn't fit in with a major league team this year or, you know, had a minor league spot and said they'd rather, you know, try to go it on their own or guys who are really fighting because teams overlooked them and they didn't have a team this year. Like these are our guys and they can be signed by any of the 30 teams instead of just one. Yeah. And I think that's a, it makes the point. And even just from a clearing up of the branding, it, I think it is a good idea just to make your product as simple as possible for people. Um, yeah. Beyond that, too, I think the Atlantic League probably needs to start thinking outside the box on a few more things, such as you know the way they really structure a lot of the roster stuff, like the way making. If you talk about the way the Atlantic League has been versus the American Association, it was always you know League One and League like League A and League B. And right now, I would say it's probably more like League One and League One A because the American Association has caught up so much, and I think. You know, the first league to really lower and lessen like roster restrictions and do it to benefit players is going to see themselves uptick in competition a little bit. And if they can understand how to market their players and, you know, market the fact that they have good players there, I think that's definitely going to set a team apart. I know, uh, the legends, uh, Dirty Birds and, well, the Dion's obviously didn't have a team last year, but they both made the decision not to protect any of their players this year. So basically allowed every player to be a free agent after the season. And that's been really attractive to guys. And they've seen a good response from guys coming in in free agency. So I think learning some things like that, that's really the next frontier is, you know, sharing up how people see you from the outside and sharing up how players view you from the outside. Definitely. I mean, we saw, I mean, like, I'm sure you got the same kind of response I got when the, the whole mound situation happened last year and it was just like the general panic that set in over pretty much every pitcher that came in and half of them were like oh i may just leave the other half said i don't know what to do 
The other half, or then there was other ones that were like, oh, I'm going to protest by only throwing knuckleballs. Then you had other people trying to frantically, like, it was almost like they were trying to get off the Titanic after it hit the iceberg. And if you're going to keep doing weird rules like that, it's certainly not going to help you as a league. And I mean, find the American Association. I'm looking at that going, well, I'm more than happy to take, you know, these top line players and add them to the clubs that we have here, especially if you feel confident in your business model. I mean, hey, you know, who wouldn't like to add in how many former major leaguers and how many former, you know, overseas professionals and whatnot, you know? Yeah. And, and to that point, I think at times we overthink. Yeah. Um, I think it's an easy sell to the player to go to a league. Yeah. It is, will I get an opportunity to show off who I am and what I can do? And will I be able to improve if I need to improve? And will I be able to get eyes on me and, a lot of the issue with guys not only was, you know, pitching off that mound, but also hitting. We didn't see batters, despite how good offense was last year, getting picked up out of the Atlantic League. Yeah. And it was because, you know, scouts see this and they're like, all right, well, they got the weird robo zone. They got the mound thing going on. Like, what do these numbers mean? Yeah. And what's good this year is that no robo zone, no mound move. There are players out there who can go, hey, if you're wondering how good I am, here's how I did against Julio Tehran this year. Yeah. Like, Here's how I did against Daryl Thompson, who, despite, you know, not being necessarily a big time MLB name, he made it to the show yeah. and, you know, he's good. Here I did against, here's how I did against JJ Hoover. Here's how I did against Daniel Corsino or against, um, Matt Lato. Yeah. Like that means something right there means something. And I think that is what's going to help a league on the player front more than anything else. On the fan front, I think that helps too with, you know, people who are super baseball minded, but I think, you know, once you, there's two sides of the business. It's on the field and off the field. And if you can solidify one and not worry as much about it on the field in this instance, it'll allow you to focus really your efforts on off the field and just focus on promoting it. And you're not, you know, fighting fires on two ends here. Yeah, absolutely there. So I've just realized we're over an hour and 15 minutes here. So I'm not sure what everybody else has to do tonight, but unless we have any uh, other thoughts, just general league points for throughout the rest of this year for actual you know, talking about baseball. I know we haven't done too much of that, but I mean, it's hard to really talk about actual baseball happenings when you're recording this a week away from when it's going to come out. So, you know, uh, with that said, it, are there any sort of storylines we're looking at for at least through the next week and change? Yeah, um, I got a few for you. So first things first, I mean, we already touched Gastonia. How will Gastonia look against, for lack of a better term, real competition um there are playing that island right now who you know who knows what that means necessarily uh but that's gonna be something to watch uh additionally it's going to be looking at you know what the ducks do if, if they it, you got a couple teams here the ducks are notorious for being able to add talent mid-season but you know you got to start looking at how hard are they going to go to try to do that when they're yeah. already a week behind in the standings right now um we're going to look at Lexington giving, uh, well, all the teams really, but like, I know Lexington's supposed to have some good visa guys coming in. Uh, Gastonia's going to have a couple guys coming in off of visas. Um, so watching those guys start to come in, starting to see who gets like dropped, who gets traded based on that stuff. Um, additionally, I mean, watching what Billy Horn does in Charleston. Uh, Charleston is definitely a, a team to watch. They're very quiet about 11 and nine, super quiet, but four games behind Gastonia right now. Uh, we talk about how good High Point and Gastonia are, but Charleston's only two games behind them. Um, yeah. And then from there, I mean, this whole Genomes Legends thing is going to be a very interesting thing to watch play out. I think that is definitely going to be 
a rivalry. I can tell you from the legend side, they don't love having a second team sort of forced upon them. Yeah. I know the genomes are all grinding on max like level because, you know, I said it is nice to be a free agent at the end of the year, but it also, you know, when you, the GMs aren't going to be here next year. Yeah. So so none of you have a job next year. So you might want to work your way out of Lexington tomorrow. (laughs) So there's there's uh, definitely that. And there's some urgency in that clubhouse as well. So, that's something that's going to be fascinating. Um, and if we're talking about long-term, uh, I think in the long-term, it's going to be looking at, you know, um, how the talent sustains itself. Will some uh, hitters really start getting signed out of this league? Right now it's been pitchers again getting signed out. Uh, and that's, I can tell you, a concern among players is, you know, who's getting signed and who's not. And I think we need to kind of you know, be very – it's a low-key story. It's not really a thing that's really viewed – as vital but when we talk about you know what is the goal for the players in the field it is to get signed and if they're not getting signed as this year goes on it's gonna be interesting um and then i guess the last thing i think would be like the coaching carousel here um if you mind i'm going to take this for a couple minutes because i I do have a point i want to talk about a little bit which is something strange for for that i picked up working in lexington which is um P.J. Phillips is a bit of an anomaly, and yeah. this is going to be a bit of a P.J. Phillips sort of chat with a couple sidebars here. But P.J. Okay. Um, Phillips, I, from the outside in, saw him come in. He's Brandon's brother. Yeah. And, you know, it was announced hand in hand. Brandon Phillips is going to be the co-owner on this team, and P.J. is going to be the manager. And I thought, oh, cool. Brandon's the owner, and they gave his brother a job. Awesome. Yeah. And like, I, you know, didn't think anything of it really. Um, you know, people get jobs like that all the time, but the man went and won a championship last year and that makes you go, huh? And I will say over the past specifically five months, I have had the opportunity to work right alongside PJ Phillips talking just about every day, um, roster building, talking like budget, like construction, talking about philosophy on baseball and roster building and all that. And I will tell you all this. Mm. PJ Phillips is one of the best baseball minds I've talked to. He is mm. very casual. He's very laid back. When he walks in a room, you don't go, Oh, I better step at attention here. He's a very comfortable guy. But with that, he creates a very good clubhouse culture. He creates a good vibe of, you know, not putting the pressure on the guys, letting them do their thing, understanding what they want and trying to get that done. Uh, and also understanding like indie ball. And he's not just the passion for managing, his passion for indie ball managing. I think mm-hmm. that's very cool and very unique. And that's something that we need more because so many people around indie ball, all they want to do is get out of indie ball. And yeah. I think it's vital to have somebody there as the go between who's just passionate about it. And I'm not saying he never wants to leave indie ball. I'm saying is somebody who has an expertise in it and he loves to do it. Mm-hmm. And I will honestly say that if you hear somebody talking about whether it's PJ Phillips or his bench coach, Stip Garza, any of them in a way that's less than flattering, you might want to ask a couple follow-up questions because those guys have been great. And I've been very impressed by the way they do things. It's going to be very interesting. It's going to be something to watch because I can say, I think with pretty good authority that PJ Phillips, despite winning a championship last year, will very likely be looking for a new job next year. Because if you, don't know um, yeah. Mark Minakazi, who is the manager of the Genomes in Lexington yeah. and managed Charleston last year, is very likely tapped to be the Legends manager next year unless something comes across the radar for him. Um, that's so huh. set in stone and that's such an open sort of thing across the league that, um, in fact, PJ was fully prepared and told he would not be coming back this year despite winning a championship last year. Uh, and then once they put a second team in, 
uh, he was told, well, you know, there's a, a job here for you, of course. So um, beyond whether or not that it's the right way to go about things, it's the right way to treat a very good manager and the right way to treat a championship manager, yeah. which is you know, something that I'll leave that to other people to think about. That's not going to be me saying it. Yeah. But I will say that right now we are probably going to have one of the better indie ball managers looking for a job next season, and he already knows it, which is a very weird uh, development. That is, um, yeah. Yeah, and especially because right now they're sitting in the clubhouse, the home clubhouse, huh. and the visiting clubhouse manager is going to be sitting in his desk next year. That's, so that is a very odd dynamic right there, and that, that is not helping tensions there. I was going to say. it's not helping the smoothness of the operations there. So it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, like I was gonna say, that's gonna be a very tense working environment. Like to know, like you're, I gotta imagine you're walking past him fairly often. Like you're crossing paths with the guy that's taking your job, and it's been openly said that much. I mean, it's, I don't really, and it's not a performance based thing either. And it's, it, it, that is a very awkward dynamic. I mean, at least for PJ sick, there is going to be a job opening next year when you know hagerstown opens up now whether he wants that or not i don't really know whether it'd be considered for that or not i don't know but you know it it that is a very that's got to be an uncomfortable environment yeah it's definitely not ideal it's definitely a tough working environment as well um and, and I'll, I'll say this too this is not a mark minikazi thing mark yeah. minikazi is tremendous I, he's i've gotten a chance to work with him and talk with him uh he is actually from the same school district i'm from oh. i Okay. You know, when I was in Little League, he was just a, enough years ahead of me where everyone was talking about what Mark Minakazi was doing because he was, you know, from our side of things. So it, he is, uh, this is not a Mark Minakazi issue. Um, yeah. That is a grown man who's going where he can continue to work and feed his family and do a good job. And he does yeah. a good job. Um, he's also very smart. He's also very good. And I think, you know, what we learned last year with the way they turned that team around is he is somebody who is very capable as a manager of a team. Um, however, it is a, definitely a very uncomfortable thing, and I, I don't envy it for the people involved. I don't envy it for you know PJ. It's a shame for him uh, because he you know he doesn't deserve to be thinking about you know where his next paycheck is going to come from. He deserves to be managing a team and being a championship manager. And the fact that you know yeah. decisions have made based on you know personal friendships and acquaintances and you know personalities clashing and. You know, that man's just trying to walk in and manage the team as best as he can during this. It's, yeah. it's a tough scene. And, and I hate that for him, especially in an organization that has an opportunity to be like the class organization, uh, within the league. And it seems to be struggling to connect those dots. Yeah. I mean, and you'd think you'd have more job security when, you know, your brother is a, a partial owner, but I guess partial doesn't quite get you all the way there. Yeah, that is also going to be an interesting one to watch. I would not be surprised if Brandon tries to make some moves into uh, ownership himself. He seems to be very about it. Yeah. Um, I will say, you know, being a co-owner and being an owner is a very different thing. There's yeah. a lot more checks that end up with your name on it, and there's a lot more, you know, a lot less of the fun and a lot more of the, you know, deciding, you know, what <laughs> stadium repairs happen when. So it's not yeah. an easy gig. But at the same time, I think he's he's probably looking toward his next challenge. And, I've seen those two work together. I'd, I'd imagine they'd probably stick together as much, you know, as long yeah. as it is what's best for Brandon and PJ. But, um, yeah, at the end of the day, man, um, Sip Garza, PJ Phillips, they, I would entrust them with just got any baseball team out there. And if, you know, you're a baseball operations person around here, you got to be licking your chops and wondering, you know, where are they going to be going next year? Yeah. And I got to imagine there's probably a decent amount of people that are, are really looking at that. I mean, we know across the board, 
that there's teams and leagues that are looking to expand and looking to make changes. So, I mean, that's a certainly an offer, uh, opportunity there for everyone involved with that. But yeah, that is, that is an interesting storyline to watch. It blows the, the water out of my, uh, I just watch to see what happens over the next couple months as far as releases and whatnot go, because we're going to see more names like that. Plus, I'm, I'm almost surprised too, because we didn't even talk about this at all. And we barely touched on it last week now was talking about Kamar Rocker going to, and playing indie ball and what that's like and why he picked the Frontier League over other leagues. It was, of course, because of Incavelia and the kind of environment mm-hmm. set up there. But you still would have thought that somewhere, someone in the Atlantic League would have made a better push for that. I mean, I feel like Long Island could have done the same thing and been in the same market, if not a better market. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add about about Rocker. I think, to be honest with you, I, I don't know if the, it's that the, an Atlantic League team or an American Association team did not have interest. I think it was probably more of a design by Scott Boris and uh, and Kumar Rocker to go to Frontier League specifically. Um, honestly, really, just because of what is the goal of what's you got to think about like what, like what's the goal of of Kumar Rocker and these three, four, whatever starts uh, in in indie ball before the draft. It's to show his elbow is healthy. It's to show his velo is still up, uh, still up in the mid nineties, and possibly get into the upper nineties. And with a really, and does he still have that wipeout slider? And of course, uh, and that, just to emphasize that elbow, uh, the, the elbow being healthy. I would think an Atlantic League team probably reached out to Boris. Uh, I would think that would be in a similar way for the American Association. Uh, I think it was probably more by design because. It is totally plausible that Kumar Rocker could have, let's say he did get signed by the Ducks. I think there's a pretty decent chance the Atlantic League hitters would have lit him up. And I'm mm-hmm. not, and I'm not, I'm not kidding about that because mm-hmm. I think that, uh, as, as good as Kumar Rocker is, uh, he still hasn't pitched, uh, above college ball and as great as, uh, of a stat line as he is, as he had at Vandy, he's probably starting, he's probably starting at, at high A, maybe double A. Uh, and right out of the gate, and for a guy who hasn't pitched in a year, and if you throw him into an Atlantic League game, I'm not convinced he does that well. So I would bet it's more of a uh, more of a thing with with the Frontier League. And all right, where does where does Kenny get some eyes on him? Albany could certainly a plausible uh, you know trip for a lot of a trip for a lot of guys. And I think it's just more of a, an instance where Scott Boris is like, all right, there's a pretty good chance that Kumar Rocker is succeeding in a league that's that's more high A. Uh, t- type quality instead of throwing him in there against guys who were who were triple A quality my triple A quality hitters and and against a guy like Courtney Hawkins that we talked about earlier in the show and I think that because if you put him in the Atlantic League I think there's a pretty good chance Kamar Rocker would get lit up so I think that's more of the reason behind anything is trying to shield him from I don't want to lose from Scott Boris saying I don't want to lose money for my client if he goes out into an, an Atlantic League game and gets shelled. Yeah, you nailed that. So I can tell you, I know personally, at least six Atlantic League teams did talk to Boris Agency about it. Uh, I would say very likely more. Um, yeah. But I know also, like, I mean, I mean, I'll say it, Lexington talked to him. Both Lexington teams talked about it. Yeah. Um, I ran the projections on him. He projected as a 4-1-5 ERA in the Atlantic League for over the course okay. of like a full season, which obviously he wouldn't be coming to do. Uh, I think that was actually over like probably 60 innings called it that, which still would be more than he would do. I think he's probably only going to do three or four starts. Um, but you know, a uh, high end, so 10% chance that he even did a sub three ERA and the odds worked out to be about 60% that it was above a four ERA. Um, and 
you know, that's, we already know from previous discussions today how, you know, a four ERA is viewed in the Atlantic League uh, against, you know, a guy. So obviously it's different for a young guy who they already know. But, you know, if you're looking to, you know, if you're looking to have one of those, oh, wow, type of performances, like talking about the way, remember DeGrom when he went down to single A and just bullied oh, those yeah. kids in single yeah. A? Like, yeah. that's what they want. That's what they really want. Ones where you go, what is the potential here? Like, okay, it's single A, but you know, like, what could he do? So, okay, it's the Frontier League, but like he struck out nine in four innings. Like, what else is possible here? Versus the Atlantic League where it's like, okay, I mean, he threw some good hitters, gave up three runs over four innings, gave up a two-run homer, and struck out four or five. Like, uh, that's probably, you know, about it. Like, that's about right. It's, that's nearly against AAA hitters. You could probably put him in double-A. He'll put up a slightly better number against that. Like, that's not what they want. It's not what's going to make Boris a lot of money. It's not going to make Rock a lot of money. So I think you're definitely on the right track with the fact that he can go over there. He can give whatever excuse he wants, but he definitely wants his numbers. And I'll say this, too. They were asking a lot, and I would not be surprised if he is very well taken care of over there. Yeah, and especially on the, you know, of course he he, he loves his slider. That's his big, tra- it's his big trademark. Uh, at the end of the day, um, Atlantic League guys, especially guys who have been in the bigs, they've seen stuff like that before, right? And mm-hmm. uh, the front, front, frontier league guys, maybe maybe not so much. So, uh, so I mean, you bring in a guy, you have a guy like. Courtney Hawkins hitting, or, or even like on the Ducks, just off the top of my head, guys who, who have played in the show, your Rusty Castillos, your, your Sam Travis type of guys, and uh, even even in High Point or or wherever you wherever you want to bring up guys who who have reached the pinnacle, they've seen they've seen breaking balls like Kumar Rockers is currently right now, and then they could just they could just sit on it, right? But I, I think and, that yeah. it would be just be a bad look for Boris and, and company if uh, if if he gets up there and doesn't dominate the way that teams were looking for to give them a big paycheck. Yeah, and I think here's really the big difference, too, is um, on the Legends, Montreal Marshall is usually the seven or eight hitter every night. Uh, Montreal is the cousin of Brandon and PJ. He is 26 years old. He got picked up by the Reds uh, when he was 19. He struggled in the minors, like had an okay rookie league season. That's about it. Was dropped at the end of 2018. Played 30 games on a whim with uh, in the Pacific Association, and he hit well, hit like 350, right? Yep. This year he projects he's back, so he took two seasons off. He's back. He projects as like maybe a 220 hitter. He's definitely the eight or nine hitter in this lineup. Montreal Marshall's first ever Atlantic League at bat. Again, he never played over single A or in any ball. Yep. He took Daryl Thompson deep. So you're talking about a league where the eight and nine guys are still good enough where they can catch one off of a guy like Daryl Thompson and take it out in their first ever at bat in the Atlantic league. Like if I'm Boris, I'm like, thanks, but no thanks, man. Like I don't need him facing that lineup. Like you kidding me? Like, and again, like sure. He might roll out there and play Staten Island, the genomes and like York sweet. Like he'll probably roll out of that giving up two run runs in 16 innings. Maybe. But then if he's stuck with something more like the legends, um, more like, oh gosh, like who, I mean, some of these other teams in this league, I mean, he could be giving up in the same 15 or 16 years of work, he could be giving up six or seven runs to be dealing with Gastonia and Lexington and like a couple other teams like that. It's just, it makes sense. It maybe keep your young big money guy out of the Atlantic League while you're still trying to figure out exactly the situation. 
I suppose. I mean, that, that all makes sense. Yeah. I was just kind of throwing it out there because it just felt like a bigger spotlight beyond. But I mean, you make the, we both made the point of you don't really want that. You just want them to go out and get numbers. I mean, that's certainly the Frontier League out of all your options are that. The only other one that would make sense would possibly be the Pioneer League because you should be able to blow away Pioneer League talent. But, but it's the Pioneer League at the end of the day. So it's not exactly a, a real choice to pick from. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I think it is funny, like, there are levels to this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think the American Association and the Atlantic League probably fall in the same category of like, oh, maybe let's not put them there. The yeah. Pioneer League, you could grow a perfect game and everyone's like, cool. Like, yeah. yeah, probably. And then, but the Frontier League is that sweet spot. So I think it makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I talk about the Pioneer League like that the week before we do a Pioneer League preview. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, rough. But yeah. I also wonder, like, and this is just a random thought. This yeah. is not something we need to dive into necessarily. But, like, I do wonder what games will pitch. I'm wondering yeah. how soon they'll publicize it. Is it all going to be home games? Or are they going to take advantage of the fact that the Frontier League does, you know, hit some bigger markets? You know, I think all that's going to be interesting. I think either way, I'll probably get the ESPN coverage, LB Network coverage. So we'll see. I mean, MLB Network coverage on Indie Ball is always interesting, though. Know? Yeah, definitely yeah, is. But One baseball and whatever, but we'll yeah. see. Yeah, that whole thing. But, yeah, no, I looked at the schedule, and for June, if they want a nice, easy landing spot for them, they have New Jersey in the second week at home. And they, the no, first start is going to be at home. So I feel like New Jersey's probably it. Quebec, they play a lot. Three Rivers, they play a lot. Both of those teams, particularly Three Rivers, if they do as expected, heavy batting teams. They don't have much in the way of pitching three rivers, but batting-wise, they should be good and watch. This week, they'll go out and have like a team ERA of 1.5 or something, and they'll be batting as a team like 200. But, you know, they're projecting for that. Likewise, we both kind of agree, Quebec City is probably one of, if not the best team in this league going into the season. And so those are teams I think they try to avoid. I still think they kind of selectively pick where where they play. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if they use Todd Frazier's small stint in Sussex County as kind of the template where it's like, okay, we know you're here for Olympic training, in this case for draft showcasing. So what we're going to do is we're going to very strategically pick where we play you and how we use you. And I frankly would be almost surprised if it's not Rocker and Boris calling the shots of what games he's starting and how deep he's going into games. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, geez, I wouldn't be surprised to see Boris sitting in the dugout making that call. But I think, um, I mean, yeah, probably the Roger Clemens Houston method. If you recall, when he came back to Houston, he was just pitching the home games. Like, I I think that would probably be more like it. Um, And, and, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I I was wondering, you know, what he was going to do. I thought it was likely he would probably go any box or was some good money on the table to do it. And it is a very easy way to get the context of how good a guy is. But, I was thinking, you know, it's 2022. If you really wanted to, that man could have got a YouTube channel rolling, just done some live ABs against guys and just like shown what he had. And that would have been enough. So it is, it is interesting that he's taking this route because I think maybe three years from now, you might see a guy in the same situation take a different path. Oh, yeah. Like it's, it definitely was an interesting situation as a whole there. I mean, we've seen it before with draft holdouts and things like that go that route. But yeah, the YouTube idea is actually something that's interesting. And I almost think it would almost be better off for him. Because you can really control the narrative at that point. You don't have to show the bad ABs. You don't have to live stream it. You could just live cut it. And I mean, there's ways you could kind of play with it more to make it more favorable. Yeah. And I mean, what, oh, shoot, what is his name? 
Carter Stewart. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He went to Japan yeah, after he got drafted with the Braves. Yeah, he like, I mean, he had a rough small sample size time. I mean, he hasn't been blowing out of the water over there, but like, yeah. it's an interesting thought. I mean, and they'll pay you over there too. So, yeah. I, I mean, that's like I keep waiting for basketball players to do that. You know what I mean? Just yeah. skip college and go play in Europe and make some money and then come back over here. But like. Uh, I, I I'm a little surprised baseball players don't do as much, but you also have like the foreign roster limits, I guess, to complicate things and all that other stuff. I, I understand international baseball as well, but it, it's an, it's interesting that it's not, you know, more often a conflict. But maybe I'm minimizing, you know, <laughs> yeah. how much of a pain it is to pick up your whole life and move to Japan. So yeah. I, I maybe maybe I'm oversimplifying a little. Yeah, I mean the honestly, it's a lot like what Austin Matthews did in the NHL a couple of years back, where he could have went the major junior route in Canada. He chose not to do that. He could have played U.S. college hockey. He chose not to do that. Instead, he went and played for, what was it, Zurich, I think, or ZC, ZSC Lions in the Swiss League, I know. Went there, played a season against, you know, men as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old, went first overall. And, I mean, it's worked out great for him. He's probably going to win the, the league MVP this year. So, you know, there is that. And I'm really waiting for someone to do major junior basketball. It just seems like it's bound to happen. Take the system that the that hockey uses with the CHL, put it as a thing in the state side, and it just makes sense. But I guess the G League kind of sort of operates like that. But that's totally off topic from what we're talking about. Yeah, um, I wish I knew hockey a little bit more, but hockey does seem like probably the one that's most apt for it because there are some of those good like Russian foreign leagues out there. So oh, you can actually get some good competition out there too. But I mean, baseball does seem like it. I mean, it, this is like even, sorry, this is so far down the rabbit hole, but like what I do know is like even the Aussie league isn't that bad. Yeah. It's a very like thrown together league at times playing on cricket fields and things like that. But like they've got some guys who can play ball. Like, oh, yeah, I remember like my guy that I always go back to, Todd Van Steenfeld. Yeah. Like that dude, he crushed down there and he went to Mexico last year and he honestly pitched well in the Mexican league too before he had a little bit of an injury issue. Like yeah. there's leagues that translate and mean something, but again, you know, got to move abroad. I got to go through that whole headache. So until, you know, that becomes a little bit easier, smoothed out, you know, MOB and all the different leagues still have that advantage. Yep, certainly there. And so with that, I think we've kind of reached the end here now that we're, you know, kind of tapering around and we are like an hour and 40 minutes in on this show. Which I frankly didn't expect to be this long, but hey, that's where it took it. So I'm not going to be upset about it. Yeah, that's on me. I ramble a little bit, but hey, uh, it's good. Uh, before we before we check out on this, by yeah. the way, I just have to say I'm going to go with High Point and Lexington in the playoffs with High Point going to the championship. And I've oh. got uh, Southern Maryland. And I've got probably, this is a bold choice, yeah. but Gastonia still, oh. despite what I said about them not giving a wild card, I think Southern Maryland wipes the floor with everybody in the playoffs. I look, I've looked very yeah, forward to coming back to this episode in like, let's see, what would it be? Probably about five months or so and seeing if this held up. Because if it held up and we both were wrong, you were right, then we're going to have to bring you on and we're going to have to talk about this. Well, and here's the thing. I'm like a data guy too. And data yeah. says don't overreact to the first like 20 games. And it doesn't really mean all that much. Your rosters change. And the data tells me something very different than what I just told you. Yeah. And I'm still, no matter how many numbers I see and how analytical I am, I'm still that five-year-old who's like, yeah, but this is what will happen. And I'll be wrong. And life goes on. Like, look, I know they're saying that it's going to go this way, but you know, I just, I got a feeling. I got a feeling. 
but it's maybe like, this time it'll be different. Yeah. Your mind's like that scene from Moneyball you know, <laughs> where Brad Pitt's talking to all the scouts and whatnot. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Where he's like, uh, yeah, the numbers say this, but like he's got an ugly girlfriend. They're like, yeah. what does that have to do? Yeah, it's huh. like hilarious. That's yeah. such a great. I just rewatched that scene the other day where he's throwing num- like names out there. Yeah. And like, honestly, by the way, that is, if you want to talk about the PJ Phillips thing, that is yeah. what it was like for the end of the year. Because yeah. we rolled into camp, not a camp, but like a week before spring training, yeah. nine guys short. And yeah. that man had spent like a month in Florida on backfields and high school fields, like trolling for players. Yeah. And he like just threw four names out there and three of them were in the starting lineup and played well day one. Like, what is happening right now? Yeah. Like you might as well have just been sitting there like um, Billy Bean, just like throwing names on the whiteboard. Like it was, yeah. it was wild to watch. So that guy, as I said, watch out for that, but yeah. I digress. Definitely. So, I guess this is usually the uh, the part where we go to plugs and whatnot. I'll let you plug your stuff first here because you've been generous with your time and definitely bailed us out on a week where we needed someone to come in and uh, eat innings, and you definitely ate a lot of innings here, and they were quality innings too, quality start. Hey man, look, I got I got my moments here. They're for, they're few and far between, but I got my moments. So um, I will say, check LPG Roundabout on Instagram, check it out on Twitter, check it out on YouTube. Uh, with uh, some changes right now going to the channel, including the new logo and all that. It's also because we're going to change up the branding a little bit. Mm. Working on three different projects right now, which are going to be more like long-form things. Uh, I can tease a couple of them we're working on. Um, first, we're working on like a <laughs> little bit of a deep dive into the time that Ricky Henderson spent in the Atlantic League. We're also doing a dive into a former Long Island Ducks player who got hit by 40 pitches in one season and another one into... I haven't quite decided how I want to structure it, but into like the failed teams of the Atlantic League, whether yeah. we're talking about the the Black Diamonds who once had a paid attendance of two at a game, or we're talking about the Aberdeen Arsenal who had one year that was just such a garbage fire that that yeah. thing had to get shut down. So we're we got a few fun things coming around the corner for LPP Roundup. Uh, it is honestly reminding me an awful lot like the uh, YouTube channel Secret Base, that kind of thing, like a John Boy type thing. I am flattered by that. Thank you so much. That makes me so happy. He is like, I will say this, uh, John, John Boyce, he was the first person watching him and like, honestly, in the country music YouTube world, Grady Smith, those are the two people where I was like, you yeah. make YouTube about this? Like, you make videos? And that was something where I was like, you know, I bet I could make videos about the, the independent baseball scene. And that's how we got here. So, uh, that is, uh, I'll take that as a high compliment. I mean, the content's definitely there. So, I mean, all you need to do is be able to uh, work on that Adobe Premiere and After Effects, and then you'll be there. You just got to get the get the technical skills down, and then uh, you already have the content level down. I'll say that it is high quality. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the majority of what my wife deals with now in life is just hearing me like mutter curse words to myself while I struggle with Premiere Pro. Oh, so you sound like pretty much the communications department at most universities. I think the communications department basically anywhere, for being honest. I think we're flattering any other company that think it's different. Yeah, but it's a bit, I can speak from experience here, off topic discussion here. We'll finish up the plugs here. Uh, if you want to find our stuff, you could do that at Indie Ball Pod on Twitter, at ALPB underscore news on Instagram, Indie Ball Report on Instagram. We got a website, it's got show notes. There's not really going to be anything to link in them for this one. So that will be easy to put together. Same thing with this whole uh, discussion. It's just going to be intro, discussion, outro. That's just going to be the entire thing. So you can check that out. You can check out our league previews. We'll be back with another league preview. Um, 
next week when we're actually back from vacation and uh also in beginning of june we should have an interview coming up that's going to be really cool really fun to do should be informative there uh and uh, yeah you can find the show wherever you find podcasts tune in stitcher spotify podomatic you hear it on every show but you know like i say google po- google podcast too just search the name you'll be able to find it somewhere or you can find them all on the website as well too so uh with that said normally we say if we have anything else left to add but i think we've gone off topic for for a pretty good spill here yeah nothing else left to add on my end for sure you got anything else to add ryan uh well don't forget to play ball I'll let you do that outro. I'm going to keep that as the outro now. I want you to know. Oh, yeah.